the Westwood One Podcast Network. You're really not as important as you think you are. Use the opportunities that are being presented to you in the new life uh, that you have because it is a brand new life. Watch what you say, watch what you do. Just try and form the best new version of yourself. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. All right, welcome back. Today we got a young veteran who's already kind of established himself and his name and his reputation uh, through the Air Force. That's Spencer Stone. The story's amazing in itself, yeah. but he's got more to share with us. 1517 to Paris is the movie they just had out about it. I was watching it the other day in the MLE. So um, I ran to him the other day at the airport and we were both traveling out. We didn't get a chance to talk uh, very long, man, but it was long enough to where we could get him on here and, and, and hear his story. Just like you said, yeah, there's a lot to this kid and I can't wait to, uh, to hear it. What do you say? You want to get him on? Yeah, definitely. Before we get to that, though, let's go to a listener story. Today, we've got a story from Jody. You know, our listener stories are super cool because it gives you guys, our listeners, a chance to tell us your never quit story. And it might be yours, might be someone else that you know, but it's a really cool way for us to connect. So keep on sending those listener stories in. So today's listener story, again, come from Jody. And here we go. This never quit story is not mine, but it has taught me how to always fight and to never give up. Back when I was 14, my dad had a severe stroke at the age of 50. I'll never forget sitting at the hospital and the doctors telling my mom, sister, and myself that he would probably never walk again. A week after his stroke, I remember my mom asking him if 50 years old was enough of a life and him saying no. So she grabbed him out of the bed and put a belt around him and would make him stand. As this went on, I recall hearing a crash in the middle of the night and thinking the worst as I ran out of my room to see my dad walking with a walker and my mom by his side. She would do this day and night seven days a week. Then one day I came home from school and my dad met me at the bottom of the driveway walking under his own power without assistance from anything or anyone. He has since made a full recovery. Fast forward 10 years and my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. She was told that she had less than a year to live. She went through chemo and radiation and I remember her being so sick but my dad never leaving her side. My mom is the strongest human I have ever met. She had surgery to remove the cancer and they did remove it all. However, her lungs collapsed resulting in severe COPD. Her lungs were operating at 21%, and the doctor explained to us that it was the equivalent to breathing through a straw. Just a walk to the kitchen took everything she had. With each hospital trip, we were told to prepare for the worst. Since she was 100% oxygen dependent, they explained to us that her lungs were not removing CO2. With each visit, hospice always seemed to be the answer to give her peace. However, each time this was mentioned, my dad would ask her if 60 years was enough of a life, and each time she would grin and say no. Each time she would come home and keep fighting. She would attend grandkid events and family functions despite knowing that she would be bedridden for the next few days. I asked her once what kept her going and was completely shocked at her answer. She said that she would rather live three months happy doing things she loved than five years sitting in the house missing out on life. She also explained that her and my dad had talked and since my sister was married with kids and me being her little boy and all, that she was determined to see me get married and have a kid and my dad had promised to keep her fighting and not let her give up. 
My wedding came and went, and she actually was able to dance with me on a song, which was amazing. She passed away on December 9th, 2018, 10 years after being told she would not live another year by doctors, and after each trip to the hospital being told that three more months would be a good estimate of her lifespan. Well, my son turned one in November of 2018, so she exceeded her goal. After she passed, the one thing we had to hold on to was the fact she met her goal and was breathing and running with no issues now. But my dad set it in perspective for me when he said that the night before she passed, she looked over him and said, 64 years is still not enough, but when our time comes, let's take Jesus' hand and go willingly. He's given us more time than he had to. I know this story isn't my story, but sometimes the best learning moments come from others. Watching the love of my parents and the fight that they provided each other has taught me how to love my wife and son. And whatever challenge I'm facing in life, I'm going to give it everything I have. But if it's not meant to be, then I will tip my cap and know that I will put my last ounce towards that goal. I will always take my mother's advice. I'd rather live my dream for one day and fail later than live the rest of my life not trying or fighting. Hey, thanks so much for sharing this story about your mom. All right, I got to tell you about one of our sponsors, Fiverr. Do you love the TNQ podcast? If so, share it with a friend. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, and pretty much any other podcast player. We got a ton of great episodes and had some incredible guests, including Peter Berg, Chris Cassidy, and Travis Pastrana, just to name a few. Have you checked out the new gear we've added to the TNQ shop? New shirts, new hats, and new backpacks. No matter where you find yourself, this stuff never quits. Head over to our shop, shop.teenneverquit.com, and get yours now. And look, do you want exclusive access to the show and bonus behind-the-scenes content? You're going to want to join us on Patreon. You get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content, access to the exclusive Patreon community where you can support others, and you get rare access to Marcus Morgan and all of our guests. We've got some amazing tiers you can get in at. You can get some custom phone backgrounds for your phone. You can get some sticker sheets. You can get a challenge coin that says TNQ Teammate. Uh, you can get this box loaded with really cool gear, like a coffee cup a challenge coin, a custom uh, aluminum pop socket. You're not going to want to miss out on this community. And special, special shout out to Joshua Markham as he's our first ever Patreon member. And we've already got a bunch of people joining us there who are now part of this community. And we are so grateful. Join us at patreon.com slash team never quit. Hey, welcome to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Spencer Stone. Uh, super excited to have him. Great story. Many of you guys have already heard of him, but today he's going to be jumping into some things that we you might not know about him. So uh, let's just get right in. Yeah, Spence, thanks for joining us, man. It's uh, it's good to have you on, finally. Great to be on, man. Pleasure to be here. Honor, actually. Before we start this, we kind of like to loosen up the brain matter and just kind of throw out some fly ball questions at you just to kind of give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into. And then from that, we're just going to go into into your story, bro. Cool. All right. Yeah, sounds good to me, man. Let's do it. All right. First question. High school mascot. Uh, Cougars. I know. That's like the one one good high school mascot. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked another guy that it kind of blew up in my face, but I'm going to see where you go with it. If you could be Jenna Jameson... Or Pamela Anderson, you, where Jenna Jameson or, Pam, or Pamela Anderson, which one would it be and why? 
Let's see if it matches this last question. If I could beat you the one and and why? Yeah. Ugh. Last guy Go asked this didn't Anderson. even hesitate. She's had a crazy. She, he didn't hesitate. No. Pamela Anderson. She's had a crazy ass life. <laughs> All right. And I'm all I'm all about having a crazy story. Right. I heard they. It's true they got they found her. She was at a Seahawks game, right? Yeah. She's in, kind of. Yeah, the, she's the, the she stands. got on the jumbotron or whatever. They kept putting the camera on her. All right, Pamela Anderson. That was a good one. All right, bro. If you could sing any song as good as the artist who sings it, halftime Super Bowl. What song would it be? Ooh, Marvin Gaye. What's going on? I'm all. I'm an R&B guy. Are you? That's a good pool. Yeah, that is a good one, man, Marvin. <laughs> well, every time everybody asks us if you could do everything, if you could do your life all over again, would you do it the same? And everyone, every time we say that, we say, "Hell no, we'd have joined the Air Force." <laughs> What would you, you know, say? I don't regret my decision to join the Air Force. <laughs> I think for sure. I think you were probably the smart one. Bro, I, we were talking about- They got about, all the women. Yeah. You get treated well, you know. Eat good. We were talking about this the other mm-hmm. day. There was somebody over that was, was looking to join the military, and we kind of tell them, hey, you need to go into the Air Force. I give that story, man. The first time, it was back during when the war in Iraq first kicked off, and we went in there for uh-huh. the kind of the shock and awe. Well, they would pull us out every, every, every now and again, and we, we could go on a uh, break in Bahrain. When we were flying out of there, man, Air Force plane, we landed in Cutter. And I, I mean, we, we'd been in the same clothes and everything. Literally walk off the plane, I thought it was a mirage. I looked to the right, and there's a, right. da- there's a Dairy Queen there. And then we go into the Dairy Queen. It was what? real. And then there's a swimming pool behind that, like with people in <laughs> bathing suits and bikinis. And then there was Sand Beach yeah. Volleyball Court, a Baskin and Robbins, a mall. I mean, oh, yeah, man, that's, that's not a joke that when we say that. That sounds about right. That is right. That sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, because that's actually that's how I decided to join the Air Force because I was originally wanted to do you know those I think like every young kid's dream wanted to be a SEAL you know so I was going to join the Navy, but I was working at Jamba Juice and the recruiting station was literally right across the street and so the recruiters would come in all the time and just people who were you know going in out of fourth going in in and out of it and I'd say well, you know hey how long you been in what branch and things like that and like if you do it over again which branch would you join every single one of them said Air Force Air so Force. I was like all yeah, right you know. I just feel like if everyone's saying Air Force, I got to go. Good call. Which, all right, so I didn't know that about you. I didn't hear about the Jamba Juice, man. So, Which Jamba Juice would you absolutely not drink? Ooh, that's the that's the pomegranate paradise. That one's just, I don't even know who why you order that, why that's even on the menu. Okay. All right, well, tell us the Jamba Juice special. Is it kind of like, uh, was it In-N-Out? They got the, the menu, the, 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 the secret menu. Do you have, they all have a secret menu there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. We would like make all our, our own drinks and stuff like that. I don't know if you remember, uh, and my buddy actually came up with it. You remember those push pops, those like Flintstone push yeah. pops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so we figured out how to make that so we can make like a push pop drink. What's the, combo? But, What's the best combo? Uh, the push pop, for sure. Definitely. So what is it's, that a mixture of? The, it's just a uh, freaking pomegranate sorbet with orange sorbet. And uh, I can't even believe I remember this. Uh, soy milk <laughs> and uh, orange juice. No, we're just going down the path about. That's you know, it. You're, yeah, you're, I mean, Jamba Juice is just straight sugar, right? So you, you see, you're a legitimate tough guy now. So when we talk about your time at Jamba Juice, it's, it just it's, it brings uh, you know. Hey, I'm, I'm proud of my time at Jamba Juice. <laughs> I like to bring a little levity to the room. <laughs> you know, hey, Dude, we had Jamba Juice every Sunday. Now. Yeah, bro. You're the only person I've yeah. ever met that worked at Jamba Juice besides somebody who's standing across the counter taking my order. 
That's awesome, man. Hey, well, that's it, man. That's kind of how we open up, just kind of joking around a little bit and laugh because what we sometimes what we get into is, you know, it's it's supposed to be pretty tough. serious. Yeah, tough and dark and serious for a reason, man. And that's that's how we learn the lessons. Yeah. So if, if if you wouldn't mind, if you could, man, just kind of get into your into your story and kind of your some of your never quit moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, basically, my biggest never quit moment was, you know, for sure when I was on the train with my buddies uh, Alec and Anthony. Uh, traveling through Europe and uh, that, you know, was a situation that all the odds were stacked against us. Uh, you know, when I got up on the train, basically what happened was I, I, you, the terrorist came out of the bathroom and into the, you know, our train car, you know, loaded AK 47. He's got a nine mil pistol, a box cutter, uh, you know, a, a hammer, a, a can of lighter fluid, and, you know, the first thing I, cause I'm wearing these exact headphones. So I'm, I'm asleep listening to my R&B. I see a train employee run down the aisle and, you know, I don't hear anything cause I just got my music playing. I'm just waking up. And I just, the first thought in my head was, you know, why is he running like that? That's not normal. And I look over at my friends and they're all kind of like looking at each other the same way. And I take my headphones off. And the first thing I hear is just glass breaking, people screaming, uh, I turn around, I look down the aisle, and I see IU picking the AK-47 off the ground. But that's because there was another passenger uh, who doesn't really get the the credit enough. And he's, he's my friend now, Mark McGallion. Uh, he was initially able to wrestle the AK away from him and bring it into our train car. And IU, you know, took the pistol and uh, shot shot him in the back. Uh, the bullet ricocheted through his body, broke two ribs, collapsed his left lung came up out of his neck, severed his carotid artery. So, you know, he's bleeding profusely already. So he pretty much crawls underneath a chair and, and uh, pretends to, you know, play Deb. And uh, so that's kind of like, that gave us our moment uh, to, to go at him. And so I, but I see him, the first thing I see is him picking up the gun. So he's, he's already got the gun in his hands. And I'm just thinking, you know, you're going 200 miles an hour on this train. You got nowhere to go. Uh, he's got a loaded automatic AK. And so in my mind, I'm just like, well, fuck it. We're all going to die anyway. Uh, so I'm going to go out at least in a blaze of glory. And uh, so I, right, on, you know, right before I'm about to go, my buddy, hit, thank you, man. My, my, my buddy, Alec hits me on the shoulder and he says, go Spencer. And so I'm like, well, shit, now I really got to go. <laughs> hey, Spence, you go uh, first. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, you go first. Hey. In his defense, I was in the aisle seat. That's the action. Yeah, but did y'all like do the paper, pop. scissor, rock, or anything to determine who in the hell oh, is going to have to no, go out just there? Just go. You go. <laughs> out, go. I wish. You go, we go. There wasn't enough time. Hey, man. Are we going on three? Is it one, two, three? Or is it one, one, two, three? You know? Yeah, exactly. Let's get the, count. Let's get the countdown. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, so I pretty much take off the aisle, and I got like a good 20, 30 feet to reach them. And. Uh, you know, I, I basically just closed my eyes because as soon as I stood up, you know, I'm the only person standing up. So he locked in on me. I see him, you know, raise the rifle at me. And uh, so I, I pretty much black out on the run up and I hear him fiddling with it. I hear uh, him pull the trigger once. I hear him trying to, you know, so I figured maybe he jammed it or something. Like right. He short struck when he loaded it yeah. or the safety was on. And uh, but to my surprise, I made it to him. He butt stroked me in the face with the gun as soon as I hit him. So I couldn't see anything out of my left eye. I'm bleeding already. And uh, I'm a little dazed, but luckily I'd been practicing jujitsu uh, about a year, pretty solidly uh, a year before that. So I just kind of went straight to that. I noticed that move towards the, yeah, 
Yeah, man. You know, I take it back real quick. That's right. <laughs> but uh, so we, we both stand up and I'm trying to grab the gun from him, but I kind of feel him take it away. Uh, and what's crazy is when I was running up to him and we didn't really get it, uh, you know, like completely obvious in the movie. But when I was running up to him, he did, you know, have a, a round in the chamber and it wasn't on safe. There was no malfunction with the AK. It was just a bad primer. And you oh, guys hey, know, thank you, God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's the man upstairs, you know? And uh, so, but by this time, you know, I'm with him. We're straight, we're reaching for the gun and stuff. And uh, I just go straight to my jujitsu and, you know, put him in a rear naked choke, slam myself backwards against the side of the train in between this chair and some tables. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we're stuck in between there. He pulls out the pistol that he just shot, shot Mark with. Uh, and he reaches back and puts it to my head. And, uh, but what I believe happened was when he was in the corridor and he shot Mark through the glass, uh, I think he dropped the magazine out of it. And so he used the only round he had left and shot Mark with that. And but, so when he reached back, there was nothing in it. And, uh, it was so kind you of like had two, order. two incidents where keep going. I'm two, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, man. But I just feel it, you know, against my head and I'm like, well, well, shit, this, like, this is it, you know, but in my mind, I kind of, I knew I was going to die no matter what, it, it, at least I thought. So I was like, at least I'm like postponing him and giving like a chance to my friends or something. And, uh, so he puts it to my head, pulls the trigger and I'm like, oh shit. Like, and I'm like, I'm still, you know, still alive. And then my buddy runs up and I'm like, well, damn, how long are you going to take to come huh. down here, man? You, you said go. <laughs> yeah. You said you go. In? He's supposed to be right behind me. And so yeah. he you said you were going to go. You didn't say for me to. Exactly. There's a little miscommunication there. That's all right. But, uh, he, he rips the pistol out of his hands and, and then basically starts to hit him in the face with it. And, uh, you know, I'm still trying to choke him out, but I don't have the choke, you know, fully in. So all the adrenaline and everything like that, I'm still a little dazed. And, uh, but I'm just choking for my life. And uh, I just feel this burn on the back of my neck. And I'm like, hmm, like that doesn't feel good. But I figured, you know, because I smashed my head against the glass, maybe I did something. And then, so I'm holding them like this and I look over at my left thumb and I pretty much just see it like hanging halfway off. And I'm, you know, I was like, how the fuck did that happen? And I look over, I, cause I'm on his back. So I look over his shoulder and I see him swinging around the box cutter blade and he's, you know, cutting up my arm and, and things like that. And so I screamed like, Hey, he's got a knife. He's got a knife. Get him off me. And so I, I kicked him off me. And then, uh, you know, at this point, me, Alec and Anthony are all pretty much surrounding him in the aisle. And then we just start to punch him, kick him, do whatever we could. Uh, he was either pushed or, or he lunged at me or something like that. And I pretty much just used his momentum and threw him over this table. And so now me, Alec, me, Alec and Anthony are all on his back, like holding him by the, by the back of his neck against the table. And my friend Alec still has the pistol. And uh, he cocks it back and, you know, tells him, stop resisting, stop resisting, puts it to his head. I look at him. I'm like, shoot this guy. Like, like just kill him right now. Right. And uh, he pulls the trigger, doesn't go off. He cocks it again, pulls the trigger, doesn't go off. And that's when we realize, like, oh, there's no ammunition in it. And so he just throws it. And then uh, I pretty much just said, screw it and put him in another naked and uh, did the same exact thing. Slammed myself against the train and uh, I got the choke like fully in this time. And while simultaneously my friend Alec picked up the AK and just, you know, pretty much muzzle, muzzle thumping him in the face. With it. And, uh, and then he just, you know, finally went unconscious. I was going to say, man, a muzzle strike 
Dude, that's no joke, man. I mean, I saw it got yeah, you know, I was I was surprised that he didn't fracture his face or something like that because when I was holding him, I was hearing solid hits against his face, right? And you know, like he honestly wasn't bleeding that much, you know, as he sh- as he I think should have, you know, not like in the movies. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, but you know, I my so at this point, I'm just seeing red, and my full intention is to kill him, and. Uh, so I, you know, I felt him go limp and, uh, I pretty much held the choke for about another minute. Like I held it so long that I got tired and had to let it go for a second. And then I reapplied it. And then, uh, my friends, Alec and Anthony pretty much screamed like, Hey, this guy's been hit. And this is the first time I see Mark at all, you know? Uh, and I look over the seats, uh, I'm next to, and I see him just stand up into the aisle holding his neck and just blood squirting out of his neck. And, and then he just collapses. And then I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I, well, I was a medic in the Air Force. and But, I, you know, I'd worked in a pediatric clinic for uh-huh. most of my career. I, you know, I did ambulance services in uh, Portugal. But the base was real small. Everyone's healthy. So I didn't really have to do anything. And uh, so but I'm still just like, well, I, you know, I know something. So, hey, hold this guy down. You know, it's your lucky day. Make sure he doesn't wake up. And, uh, I pretty much crawl over to Mark and, uh, I, you know, I take my shirt off cause I was going to use that as a bandage to hold pressure with. But then once I realized, you know, it was like pulsating from his neck, I was like, Oh, well, that's his artery. And then, uh, I just pretty much took the, cause it, the way he was laying, I had to take the same hand that my thumb was hanging off of and, and, and put my fingers in there. And I just felt the artery kind of like pulsating around yeah. in there. And I just, you know, pressed it against his neck and the blood flow just completely stopped. So what and happened? Then, he got shot, went shot in the back and ricocheted up his spine and came out his throat. Is that, was that how that worked? Yeah. So he pr- pretty much it, it, from what I remember, it was the hit was about right here. Mm-hmm. And, and then it ricocheted around his rib cage, broke oh. two ribs, collapsed his lung. And then, and then came up and out of his neck. Right. And so the hole to his neck was like, you know, around this area. Right. Uh, but I mean, he's still, you know, fully alert talking and, uh, and I'm just, you know, I stopped the bleeding and I was like, Oh wow! Like I, I couldn't even believe that I stopped it. And uh, it's but, crazy how that works, I, right? When they say, "Hey, you can actually reach in there, apply press, no matter what." I mean, yeah. just to do something, just put your damn hand on there and push. When you pinch that artery and you feel it kind of collapse down, it's a, it is weird, right? <laughs> Digging in there. Yeah. But then once you get it, you know you have it. I yeah, watched that exactly. part where you were like, "Hey, are you ready to switch?" I've had to do that too, man. I'm like, "Hey, you ready to switch?" Kind of deal. Let's, oh, really? Gotta, yeah, I got to do this fast because you didn't, yeah. you don't have a chance to clean all that stuff up, anyways. I mean, no, no, because yeah, you, yeah, with him, messy. Right? He, he had a scarf kind of around his neck and stuff like that, so it wasn't completely obvious. I was actually really worried about the switch because there was a language barrier and she didn't speak English, right? And so I was like, you know, like make sure you get this because uh, you know he's been bleeding. Like I was surprised he even lived. Uh, because by the time I got to him, he was in a pool of his own blood. Like, yeah, I even asked him on the train, like, Hey man, you know, like you want to say a prayer? And he, he thought about it for a second and he was like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> we should wait on that just Hell in case. No. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, all right, you, you know, I'm, I guess I don't have as much confidence as you, but, uh, but it ended up working out and nobody died. So. That's uh, a great thing. Yeah, I used to always tell my patients, like, "Hey, look, man, you're gonna make it through this, but you're probably gonna be jacked up, all right?" So yeah, yeah, I'm just go. gonna keep it real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we ain't real. gonna be buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a roller coaster ride since 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 all that, yeah. Oh my gosh, man, yeah, up and down, up and down, like a lot of positive things. You know, I always say, you know, it was one of the worst things to happen in my life. Uh, you know, I guess from a like a mental standpoint, uh, but it was also one of the best things. Uh, 
you know, not only because of the opportunities it's provided me and kind of where my life is today, my life has completely changed from it. Uh, nothing really in my life is the same except my friends and family. Uh, but, you know, I just look at it like this is like, man, I'm 26. Uh, you know, I've had, I've lived, I feel like I've lived two full lives already and I have, you know, an, an excellent perspective to move forward with in life at a very young age. And I don't think a lot of people have that. And I think that's a true gift. You know, I, I really do realize that I could die at any second. And so I try and live my life to the fullest at, at every moment. Yeah, definitely. You were tested at a, a very young age. It's good to have that perspective. Most most men and women don't get that till they're a lot older. But you definitely haven't. What you just said is spot on, yeah, man. Hammered it. What uh what was it hey, what was it like playing yourself uh in the movie? And seeing that all because you had to relive it all. I had to Yeah. Yeah, it was honestly, it was awesome. You know, because I'm with my buddies, I'm with a lot of the same people on the train, because not only did we play ourselves, Mark played himself. His wife played herself. We even had the same uh, ambulance crew and police come onto the train in the movie as nice they work. did in real yeah, life. So it was just like a big recreation. And uh, I mean, we had a blast. You know, we got to travel around the world with Clint Eastwood for two months. Living like superstars, what, you know. Clint, I mean, so, what's he closest to in all of his movies? Who does he most resemble of any of his characters? Or does, is he just Clint? Uh, please say Josie Wales. He's a mixture <laughs> of like three people. He's a, yeah, he's a mix. Well, Clint is like the coolest guy. He is the man's man, in my opinion. Right. You know, he he's completely lives up to what you think he is. And uh, he's, but he's a mixture of like Dirty Harry, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and just kind of like really funny, smart, hardworking Clint Eastwood. I mean, 89 years old, and he works longer days than most young adults, you know, and still hits the gym. He's like banging out pull-ups and tricep dips in the gym with us after, after uh, shooting and everything like that. So I was like, man, you're 88 and you're still, it's nine o'clock at night. You're still working out with us right now. And you woke up at six in the morning, you know? So he's just an awesome dude. And he's uh, gave us a great opportunity and made us really feel like we were in control, you know, of, of what was portrayed in the movie and didn't kind of sideline us, you know? I heard a story about um, Toby Keith has a new song called Don't Let the Old Man In. And I guess he was playing golf with Clinton, asking that same question. He's like, man, they, you know, getting up here in the age and whatnot. And it's kind of, how do you keep going? He's like, man, I just don't let the old man in. I yeah. mean, that's a great piece of advice. Just automatically assuming you're, you're supposed to live to be 200. 88 not a big number. Right? Yeah, it's kind of like you start exactly. slowing down when you think you're supposed to slow down. In reality, man, you just keep living. And yeah, seriously, I mean, it's funny enough. They actually would, he would tell us him and his buddy, Chuck, who is like his best friend slash security, uh, whenever he's traveling, uh, uh Chuck, Chuck would tell us, you know, like, don't let the old man in. Cause we would ask the same exact thing. Like people, you know, they have this mentality of when they get 50 or 60 years old, they're supposed to act and do certain things. And it's like, no, you don't need to do that. You know, and that's exactly what don't let the old man is in, you know, you, you keep that young spirit and. You just keep enjoying life. So well, yeah, every phase that you go through, man, you're supposed to take the experiences and keep them, not not leave them. I mean, all that yeah. stuff, even from when you're a kid, that what's what's magical about everything. That's what keeps life kind of going the way that it does. And I'm sure your attitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, you people ask us all the time. We get in these situations where we're always thinking about quitting, and I'm like, man, or, or we that we don't quit anything. I was like, well, there's a reason mm -hmm. why we say never quit all the time, man. It's because of the situations we get in, we're always thinking about it. <laughs> like, man, I probably shouldn't quit yeah. right here. As far as it goes with you and everything that you've been through, your your perspective on that whole never quit attitude has probably changed. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think actually, 
uh, in my younger years, and well, I'm still young, but like when I was a teenager and things like that, I was pretty like mentally weak. And uh, I mean, I didn't, I haven't quit a lot in life, but there's definitely times where I did quit, you know, whether it was in small, smaller things or bigger things. Um, and it was just something that I had to, I guess, just build upon. Um, and I, you know, there was a moment even actually when I was in high school, uh, when I got real frustrated, I used to play uh, basketball and I wasn't getting to play any time. I was kind of more of just like a practice dummy and things like that. And I ended up, uh, you know, quitting the team, uh, near the end of the season. And that's still one of my biggest regrets in life. And it was like the first time I ever quit something. And I, you know, still thinking about it to this day, I was like, gosh, that is, that's just a huge regret in my life. And even something, I take something as small as that. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that again because, you know, you got to see, see everything through, you know, everything's painful. You just got to keep going through it. So, oh yeah, that's what separates people with success and not, I mean, when that pain kicks in and you know, the difference between moving on to something and then quitting, like if you just stop dead track, cause it got hard and you're like, I can't do this anymore, yeah. man. And that's, that's what eats at you. Yeah. It's kind of like in the beginning you get, you pick your path at a young age and you start running as fast as you can down it, learning all you can. And then you get to a point where you're like, you might realize like, Hey, I'm going down the wrong or not, not the wrong way, but it's time to t take a different direction. So you got to work your way back. And in those moments where they kind of chew you up a little bit, you get a chance to fix them, right? And kind of readdress them and then come out on the other side. Just like you said, you're young right now, man. You got multiple lives to be led in, in the short time that we're down here. Basically, you know, we went through this, you know, terrorist attack and became international heroes overnight and, uh, you know, ha was having this great time. We're touring all over the country. I mean, you know, the, when I was on a plane headed to D.C. to go to the White House and, and visit with the president and everything like that, I'd realized it was the first time that me, my mom, brother and sister were ever on the same plane together. Uh, you know, so we're just having a great time, you know, just loving life. And we go on this six-week press tour. It comes to an end. And it's like, all right, well, Air Force is, you know, time to come back to work. Time to, you know, to stop living that life. So I'm like, okay. I decided to take a few days of leave to hang out with some friends because I hadn't seen everybody since the incident happened. And it's like a Wednesday night. So I'm like, all right, you know, let's go out and get some beers. And uh, we, we go out. And it's me, uh, three girls that I used to work with at Jamba Juice, actually. Uh, and then one guy who was a new boyfriend of the girl, one of the girls I was with. And, uh, so we go out and, uh, you know, we're doing what we do 23 drinking. We're pretty drunk at this, at this point. Uh, it's a little after midnight and one of the girls gets sick and starts throwing up. So we're like, okay, you know, calling it time to leave. Uh, we go outside and, uh, and she had some, you know, some, some heart issues and things like that. So I was kind of more worried about her. She was acting a little bit more drunk than, just, I guess, a regular drunk person. So I was a little concerned. And uh, so I, I'm that's what happens when you become a medic. <laughs> Start noticing yeah, all that exactly, other stuff. Right? You're like, oh, man. Yeah. You, too much information can be kind of bad sometimes. It can, like, yeah, sure can. You know, but uh, so I'm sitting on the sidewalk with her and, you know, she's you know pretty much just dry heaving at this point. And the guy, uh, you know, he's our DD for tonight. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go get the car and I'll go pull it around, pick you guys up. And I was like, okay, I'll wait here with them. And, uh, five guys, uh, and a couple of girls walk by 
and they take their you know phone out and they start you know recording uh, my friend you know shining the light in her face and things like that as she's dry heaving. So I'm like you know I, I say something and I'm like hey man what are you doing cut that cut that shit out and uh, that pretty much started an argument and then next thing you know the girls I'm with start yelling at them everyone's yelling back and forth it's like you know it all happened really really quick yeah. and uh, I'm realizing that okay it's about to get really serious. And I'm like, okay, you know, even though I kind of started it, uh, I was like, I need to deescalate this now because if anything happens, I'm going to have to fight them. And uh, so, and I still have my cast on from my hand surgery from the from the train attack, and so I only got one hand. And so I'm now trying to like push my friend Lisa back, and I'm like, you know, Lisa, chill out, chill out. Uh, you know, she's kind of a little feisty attitude, so, so she's screaming. She's she's really aggressive, but I love her. Uh, and, uh, so the guy is on my back. And then out of nowhere, he jumps over my shoulder and just, boom, just punches Lisa in the face. So I just see her, her, I'm looking at her face, and she just, boom, gets blasted. I'm surprised she didn't get her teeth knocked out. And then as soon as I see that, you know, I turn around and start swinging, and pretty much it turns into a five-on-one fight. Uh, And what I didn't know was that they were a part of this Asian gang right out of San Francisco called Hop Singh. And so they're pretty, like, serious dudes. And... uh, I'm, I'm basically trapped against this wall and, fi- you know, five on one at this point. And I'm just, you know, just throwing rights, throwing rights, throwing rights. I'm just thinking to myself, all right, don't fall down because I'm, I'm going to get stomped out and killed. And uh, I pretty much was able to escape from this wall. I was trapped against and out into the middle of the street. And I'm kind of backing up into the street and they're all still coming at me. But in my mind, I'm like, man, I hope a car comes through here and just runs all you guys over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, That's <laughs> and you know, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't. God was like, ah, not this time, buddy. Yeah, helped you out but, too much uh, last time. And so I'm, I'm, I pretty much bait one of them to get a little closer. And it's actually the, the, the fight video is actually on YouTube. There's surveillance camera footage of this. Uh, and I pretty much bait him into the middle of the street. I knock him to the ground, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, they're they're literally following me, and so I'm gonna have to try and knock them all out if I can. And I go to basically try and finish him while he's on the ground, and. Uh, that's when his uh, his friend comes up to behind me and uh, stabs me in the back, and uh, I felt that one. And I was like, in my head, I you know, I was like, oh, he just stabbed me, and I, I turned around, and I basically, you know, I, I just kind of confirmed that he's got a knife and he's you know holding it on his side, and we're kind of shuffling in the street, and I just put my hands up like, whoa, man, like relax, and uh, so I kind of run down the street, and then they finally all disperse. And, you know, I'm <gasps> breathing like this and I'm like, man, if I just had a shape or something and I, I look down, yeah. yeah, basically I see blood, blood, blood. I had been getting stabbed the entire time. Uh, I got stabbed four times. I got stabbed in the heart. Lung, I didn't know liver. about this. Did that, was that out? They put that out? Yeah. It, yeah. They cut that out of the story. I think, you know, maybe cause it, I guess trying to makes me seem like I'm a brawler or something, yeah. even though, you know, I've never thrown the, the first punch in a fight, but, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm walking down the street, you know, five stages to death. First one's denial, last one's acceptance. I just went from denial, like, are you kidding me right now? I just got stabbed again. <laughs> and and then I'm just like, you know, I'm, he collapsed my lung and, and then nicked my heart uh, in, in, in the stab right here. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't breathe. I'm bleeding a lot. I was like, I'm about to die. And, uh, so I, I walk down the street, my friends come up to me they're like, you know, I, I, I'm getting dizzy. Taxi driver comes up to me and says, Hey, you want me to take you to the hospital? I was like, Oh no, please just call 911. Cause I just saw the ambulance around the corner. 
and uh, I lay down on the ground and I pretty much just said to my friends, hey, you know, tell my mom, brother or sister, I love them and it's going to be all right. And I just closed my eyes and it was kind of weird because it's not that I wanted to die, but I just, I guess I was in full acceptance that I was going to die. And I was kind of, I guess, really at peace with it in that moment. Uh, And so I just closed my eyes, thought I died. And then I woke up to the paramedic uh, giving me a sternum rub and uh, then they ripped my clothes off the street, put me in the ambulance and, and took off. And I had open heart surgery, exploratory surgery in my abdominal area uh, bilateral chest tubes because in surgery, they nicked my other lung. Of course they did. Uh, Get your yeah. full bennies that way, brother. Yeah. <laughs> God knew what he was doing, huh? Yeah. They and, catch uh, the guys that did it. They did. Yeah. But only one guy got uh charge. He got only nine years. In my opinion, I thought she got more. Uh, and you know, especially cause he was a uh, gang affiliated, but the uh, district attorney in Sacramento, uh, my opinion, just totally dropped the ball. Uh, but that was my fault for letting them, letting them do that. So, but it is what it is. So you got nine years for assault with a deadly weapon, attempted murder, and great bodily harm. Was it the actual did. guy that did it, or was it just a? It was that. It was the actual guy that did it. But in my opinion, I think there was two guys with knives because when I dropped the guy in the middle of the street, I remember uh, hearing like a metal chunk hit the ground, and uh, but you know that's my you know faint yeah. memory. So is it that's true? Damn, but, man, uh, no, that sucks. Well, good on you for yeah. that. You got nine lives, buddy. You playing the lottery a lot? Yeah, you know, I try. I never win. <laughs> Damn. But, well, just, you know, after after we're gone, when they start making movies about you, they'll put that whole long scene in there. Yeah, yeah, that would have been, would have been a really good We all start running around movie, together to but... be the next version of the OK Corral. Why are they, <laughs> Doc? <laughs> we'll have to get some beers. Right? Good Lord. Hey, yeah. next time we can, yeah, next time we can, we'll get some beers, it'll be in my house though. That way we don't have to worry about getting into a knife fight or a damn gunfight or, or anything like that, man. But yeah. two of your stories are, 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 are stuff that they, you know, they make movies out of. They already have. I mean, and at that age going from, I mean, that's an overnight thing for you, right? Coming yeah. into, into that limelight, man. Is there any advice you pass on to the guys who are coming up who, who kind of get cat- uh, catapulted into something they're not ready for? Cause you, you've done it well. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's had its challenges. Uh, but I would say the the biggest piece of advice I would give is to remember that you're really not as important as you think you are, you know, because at that time, I mean, everybody is telling you how great you are, what a great thing you did. And, and it, a lot of people will, you know, take that in and, and really kind of keep it in. And, you know, it's, I appreciate when people say things like that. But at the end of the day, I know I'm just a man and I have faults and, you know, I'm not perfect and, and everything like that. Uh, so just to keep a humble attitude and to not really get a big head about it and uh, really just to, I guess, use the opportunities that are being presented to you in the new life uh, that you have because it is a brand new life. Uh, but you also have to remember that, you know, you are going to be held to a higher standard now. And uh, you're able to watch what you say and watch what you do and just try and form the best new version of yourself. Amen. Man, how old are you? Man, that's 26. <laughs> you, read that, you read that on a bumper sticker Drop somewhere, him, man. That's some. pretty good. Yeah, hey, man, you know. <laughs> uh, is that your little cat right there? Cat? No, no, no damn no. cat in his house. Is that a dog or is that a cat? That's a straight up <laughs> pit bull, viper, titanoboa. Dire, dire wolf, man. Just a puppy. She survived in the wilderness. <laughs> oh, is it right? Here. This is my uh, 
our Pomeranian. She won't come over. She won't... Yeah, right, she's she's tough, and she earned her stripes out here. We weren't really accepting of her. And... She she looks like a used boar brush for a 50 cal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but another well, another part of it is, and I know it, it's getting long witted, but no, no, tell us about your, yeah, your brother, man, your family. Basically, my you know my my mom, single mother, uh, raised us. And with pretty much no help, no child support, no nothing like that. My dad was a, you know, an alcoholic, uh, you know, physically abusive, mentally abusive. He's in prison right now. Uh, and you know, we, we still all love him, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but uh, so I was raised with my mom, brother, sister. Uh, my brother pretty much, you know, took, took lead as, I guess, the, the father figure role in our family. And, uh, you know, I pretty, you know, whether I liked to admit it or not for a long time i always you know really looked up to him and i kind of i guess in a way copied a lot of the things that he would do you know he was really big into paintball so you know i got obsessed with paintball and you know i and then he was big into the military i got obsessed with the military you know we all we watched all our favorite movies or same movies you know like one of our favorite movies is platoon we're always quoting uh, that movie to each other uh, especially when we're doing something crazy and especially since me me and him have now both had like near death experiences. We always quote that part where Sergeant Barnes and uh, Red are talking to each other. He's like, yeah. "Hey man, I got a really bad feeling about this." One. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Well, we all we all gotta die sometime, Red." Yeah. yeah. So, so my brother, you know, he joined. He went a different route. He joined the CHP, and uh, you know, so he's currently actually uh, on uh, governor protection at the Capitol, and uh, he was uh, going into uh, was going to trial for the SWAT team, and he you know they have like a you know a first initial testing phase where you know you're doing all these courses shooting running and things like that and then you do a sit down interview you pass the interview and then the third portion is kind of like a mini hell week and uh so he's he's doing the hell week he's about like three days in and he goes home and um he starts you know pissing brown and uh he does a quick little Google search and, you know, figures out he's got rhabdo and, uh, he, Oh, you mean he was he, like he, real brown? Like, yeah. Like, like Coca-Cola. Yeah. Like real like brown. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, not yeah, dehydrated and, brown. Uh, Co- yeah. No, Coca-Cola brown. I we're, say, yeah. we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Brown wood table brown, you know? So, so he does, you know, does the Google search, finds out he has rhabdo and, but he's so close, you know, he only has like two days, uh, left and then he's on the SWAT team. And so he's like, well, shit, like, you know, fuck it. If I die, I die. I mean, that's always been his, like his mentality, uh, and kind of like where I think I got, you know, my never quit mentality. You know, I pretty much always tried to emulate my brother and I feel like he did make me the person, you know, had a huge part in making me the person I am today. And, uh, so, but he just had a daughter, uh, two years before that Brooklyn. And so he said to himself, well, if I die, then Brooklyn's not going to have a father. And so he said, okay, I'll go, I'll go to the hospital. And so he went to the hospital and I've had friends in the military who had rhabdo and, uh, you know, it seemed to me like it was not really a big deal. You know, you go get some fluids, your kidneys turn back on. Uh, and then, you know, I guess you're, you're back, but I mean, I don't really know that much, but, uh, so he goes to the hospital, he ends up going to this really crappy hospital and, uh, they start just pumping him full of fluids and I guess his, his kidneys never turn back on. And so fill, by the time I was, up. yeah, he would, I was, cause I was out of town when, when it happened. 
And, you know, I figured on like when I heard about it, he had rhabdo, I was like, oh, he'll be fine. You know, just go to the hospital real quick. He'll probably spend a night there and then and it'll be good the next day. And then once I heard he's still there, he's still there. Oh, they're moving him to the ICU because he's coming down with pneumonia. I'm like, oh, well, oh, I need to get there right now. And so I, I go down there and he's just sitting in the bed and he's, he looks like a balloon, you know, like his, he's got like turkey neck now. He just doesn't look like my brother. And, uh, he's coughing up all this stuff from, uh, the pneumonia and, uh, you know, so, but I go talk to him and things like that. And he's like, oh, you know, actually I feel like I'd be feeling okay if, if I didn't have this pneumonia. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you, you know, you seem to be like in a good headspace and things like that. And so the uh, nurse comes in and takes his temperature and, uh, we were like, Hey, what, what was the temperature? And she goes, uh, it was, you know, something, something, but she's told us it was, it was in Celsius. Uh, and we're like, what do you like, t- what's the Fahrenheit, you know, come on. And, uh, she goes, Oh, let me go Google it. Mm. And I was like, what, you know, like, are you kidding me right now? So that was like our first sign that he's in a really bad hospital. And, uh, so I pretty much, I, she leaves the room. I just grabbed the temperature and there was a switch on it. I switched to Fahrenheit. I took his temperature and it was, you know, like 102 or something like that. And so, uh, but anyway, so the, the then the nurse comes back in, tells the temperature, uh, but she gives her an, an Ambien to help him go to sleep. And uh, so I'm like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll be back in the morning uh, and uh, let you get some rest. And so we go, we all go back home, back home, me, my mom and sister, and we're just, you know, talking in the living room about, you know, what a shitty hospital he's in. And, uh, like, and we kind of felt like the CHP should get him to a better hospital. And so I pretty much called, uh, his, uh, his captain and, you know, told him what happened and told him, I was like, you know, man, I don't think he's not looking good at all. Uh, you know, I think this is like pretty serious. Like, you know, you should get him to the Davis in, in downtown Sacramento. It's like a level one, you know, trauma center. And so, I'm like, you know, is there any things you can do through the CHP pool, some connections to get him, get him transferred there? And he's like, ah, you know, but this is like two in the morning I'm calling him. So he's like, well, you know, I, he's like, I get, I start work at six and, uh, I'll see what I can do then. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wait around for him to get up at six in the morning when he needs to go right now. And so I just called the hospital and I started to try and like initiate a transfer myself. And, uh, I'm on the phone with the nurse and, you know, I'm, I'm talking to her about it and he's like, well, he's, he's not going to be able to be transferred. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's not gonna be able to transfer. Like, well, he's not, he's not stable enough. And, and actually we're going to be intubating him in the next five minutes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what? You know? And so like, I pretty much hang up the phone, tell my mom and sister, like, Hey, we're getting in the car right now. And, uh, we, we get in and we, we walk in as he's being intubated. And I mean, he's already kind of light blue. And so I walk in and I'm like, you know, it, and the weird, the weird part about this story is that the night he was being intubated was the night I got stabbed two years prior and almost died. And so, you know, think about what my mom's going through. She's a, she, she almost lost me twice. And then uh, she's been now about to lose our, our, her oldest son. And so, you know, she, she walks out of the room. And But long story short, he got intubated uh, successfully. And then, you know, then the hospital started to take it seriously. And, and they pretty much came to us in the morning and thank God to the CHP because they really rallied after that happened and really, you know, really helped out. Uh, but the doctor had told us like he has a 50, 50 chance to live. Uh, he, we're going to have to do dialysis and that's about the only thing that we can do at this point. 
uh, and and you know we're going to have to move forward with, with that. And so I'm thinking, all right, well he's still going to die. And uh, I guess the doctor talked to our, his captain uh, in a separate room and told him, well he actually has more of a 20 percent chance to live. And uh, you know, long story short, my brother's a freaking stud, and uh, he he pulled out of it. Was in dialysis for about a month and a half, and uh, you know he's he's actually healthier than ever now. No permanent damage to his kidneys. And uh, he's going to go, you know, try again for the SWAT team. So that's why I admire him so much. And I think that's where my never quit mentality comes from, for sure. Damn. Yeah, your mother must be, she's a saint. Didn't have to deal with all that. <laughs> oh. She got real high anxiety these days. <laughs> yeah. Your mom and our mom need to hang out. Well, I don't know if that'd be a good oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing like, that uh, story. That's, yeah, that's definitely behind the scenes. You, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Two years on the same day. Oh yeah, just... but you know that's why. Let's go back. I go back to say it's like you know I've I've had a you know a, a, a lot of great things happen to me uh, in the last couple of years, and my life has changed in a lot of positive ways. But you know, as much as uh, you know, as much positivity you can have in life, you're going to probably have as much negative, and so you got to be able to just deal with that. You know, like. It, it's life. It's going to hit you left, right, and then with an uppercut when you're not looking. So, Well, it's the love of the opposites, man. It's kind of what makes everything go around. Anything you, you throw out of your mouth is going to come around on the backside. And it's, there are no good and bad times, man. There's just the times, right? And the more elevated, just like you said, the more the crazier it got on the good side, well, the other side has to elevate as well. And when you run into that, if you're not prepped for it or ready for it, because that's probably like when you get into the really good times, you completely quit focusing on the fact that anything like that could happen. You know, and that's 100%. just, yeah, it's just kind of like letting your guard down. And then ultimately what happened, when it slips in and you realize it doesn't take long, right? It's kind of like, wait a minute, something's going on here. I got to get my bearings. And then once that yep. happened, you lock back in it and then you, you it's kind of like, um, it's not controlled chaos, but it's, it's kind of discipline and chaos, if you will. And then yeah. the, the, all that rises together and then you get that balance. So you just keep, keep pushing. You skip a step, it's further to fall backwards. And when you got somebody going through it with you, man, it's just each one of those times you elevated yourself into it and you, you kind of stop thinking about them as, as bad times. Like I said, it's just like, man, I just had to deal with that part. It's like, I, yeah. it's, it's not something I had to deal with every single day. It's just something I had to deal with right then and there. And then when it's over, I don't take the baggage with it. I just take the lessons learned. Because if I'm dragging those bad times from the other days back in around everybody else, that just means I want them to suffer with me. When in reality, we all get put in those positions to go through them so we, we can learn the lesson and teach those around us uh, about it so they don't have to. Or if they are mm -hmm. going through it, you have the, the wherewithal and the guidance to get them through it and say, hey, look, man, this is what's happening. Don't, don't get all stirred up. And a lot of times our minds will pay, play tricks on us when you get into those, those situations because when things are so jovial and good, a bad time, it seems like a damn disaster. When in reality, yeah. it's not, right? It's just a kind of an interruption in the flow. I think we can all forget that, you know, a lot of times if something bad's happening to you, you think you're the only one going through it, right. you know? But everyone else is just, no one's saying anything. And, you know, you could be in a room full of 10 people and everyone's got, you know, as worse or worse problems going on. So, you know, I'm going to say, once you realize that, like, ah, eh, you know, I'm not the only one that bad things are happening to. Uh, and, I, and I haven't had the craziest life in this room. I think that's the greatest part about what I've been able to go through the last couple of years. Like I'm happy uh, for all the negative and positive experiences. Uh, I wouldn't want to just have all positive experiences because then I'd be out of touch with what reality is. Well, that'd be a little uh, boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's exactly. how, That's the only way you can measure your good times is if you know how bad yeah. they can get. 
And, it, mm-hmm. and as you go through it, man, it, you know, those of us who like to feed both wolves, that dark side and the light side, you're prepared to deal with either one of those. You got a family around you. You kind of you want to always have them in that that general good side of it, and then you know keep an eye on that bad side to keep it away from them as as you mm-hmm. skirt through it, man. And if you're sitting in a room full of people and everybody's got a weird look on their face, that means something's probably going down. And if everybody's getting hit by something, then there's obviously something to it. It's beneficial. That's what teams mm-hmm. do so well. They're supposed to talk about the situation, be like, hey man, anybody else having some crazy yeah. stuff going on? Because I have no idea what's going on here. And then, man, that's the ride. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of it, you're like, no, I didn't see that yeah. coming, man. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Because when you read those self-help books and everybody, it's not like somebody writes that. They don't go through all good times and tell you about it. Man, it's like those, when they hear your no. story, it's just like, all right, man. And then your upbeat attitude. And it, there is, I mean, I have complete joy every day. That's, I mean, not Me just, hap- not Me just happy, man, like joy. And uh, mm-hmm. you look at those times that you went through and everyone's talking to you. They're always saying, good job, you know, well done. And then, you, so why would you feel like you you did bad? It's just a bad, yeah. it's just a tough situation. That's right. You're a tough guy. I mean, we, there's those of us around nice here time. that have to deal with that. And the people who can't, they just like to bitch about it or tell us that we didn't do a good enough job in the hard times. Those are the best, yeah. right? When, you're, when they critique you for going mm-hmm. through some shit they won't even touch. You're like, all right, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that. exactly. I mean, I consider it uh, kind of a privilege. It is and a privilege. Most people probably think I'm crazy for saying that, but uh, it is, you know, because it goes back to it gave me the perspective I have in life. And now I have such an advantage yep. uh, just for myself, uh, just like with my, for my, with my mentality moving forward. So. Uh, I like to say, man, from it's from zero to forty, you have an opinion, and then forty to sixty is perspective, and then wisdom. So you've been shotgun <laughs> that, you. ahead of yourself there, man. So uh, re- remember, with wisdom, you get to see both sides of it. Like that's the thing. It's like now you have a clear view and understanding of most most of the stuff that's coming at you that would have taken a long time to get that. That's that old person perspective. There's a reason yeah. why they don't do some things. So like that's just dumb. You know, you do that when you're young. But it'll definitely uh-huh. live yeah. for a, an exciting life, man. It opens up the world to uh, multiple adventures because everything that's ever been written, every movie that's ever been made is waiting to be played out again just in our generation. So thank you again 100%. for coming out here, brother, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad uh, we finally caught you, up. Man. And, hey, next time you're in Texas or we're around you, man, we'll give you a buzz. We'll get you out here. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Looking forward to having a, having a real beer this time. Yep. Let's do it. Oh, Enjoy it, buddy. Take care. We're up. All right. All right, guys. I can't believe that kid got stabbed twice. <laughs> I mean, not only just in randomness with the episode in Paris on the train, then he's at home defending the honor of a young lady. Of course he did. Some jackass stabs him five times, four or five times. And he survived both and of them. And damn near kills him. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, he's that one guy after when he's old and gray, then we write them stories about them dudes that just went through everything. Like the world's most interesting man. It's probably was so a like, line like for chesty it. Puller. Coming, right? Look, John Wayne tough. That's probably why that's what happens when you run around with Clint. Yeah, there you, there no, you have it. You're going to have to live up to that standards of your buddies. You're, you're going to run around with, with the Eastwood. <laughs> you're hanging out with Clint Eastwood. You better be a tough son. Yeah. SOB. Yeah. That and what he shared about his brother. I mean, like like our mom, she must be. That's something. Got some stone that fa- Yeah. Them boys just driving around the ragged edge. No. Living on the edge where the demons hang out and they'll pull you back when you've had enough kind of deal. But, I mean, his overall perspective now and the way he sees things is just going to be uh, it's. Man, it's going to be a great ride from him from from here on out. His, just, yeah, he's a humble kid. His humility, it, that'll carry him far in life. And, he, and the fact that he understands what he does now at 26, which we didn't no. at all. Yeah, absolutely. Which most don't. Nope. 
Yeah, you're gonna make mistakes, man. You gotta think of the first part of this is training anyway. So if you got if you run across a kid like that, man, and it's uh and, and, and remember, man, in the beginning, sometimes you're gonna have to walk and be the person that you're not to become the one that you're meant to be. And it's just it's that you can't make a mistake unless you go out there and try and and you, you never know what situations you get yourself into if you just kind of walk out and and um, present yourself. I'm not saying you get as crazy as, as Spencer's or anything like that, but I mean the overall concept is the same. Just you know, put yourself out there and and see what happens. That's the, the enjoyment of life, man. So Spencer, thanks for sharing that with us, man, and, and keep sharing that with everybody you come across. Did today's episode ignite a new fire in you? If there's one thing that I've learned, it's that sharing your story is a powerful thing. There are people out there that need a kick in the ass, and your story could be the one thing to change their life forever. Take a minute to share your story at teamneverquit.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the share your story button in the menu so we can encourage you along the way. Your story just might be shared in one of our upcoming episodes. I could tell you right now that this episode today with Spencer is definitely going to change someone's life. It's definitely going to encourage someone in their journey. So do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show. It helps other people uh, find out what we're doing around here. So just head over to iTunes, leave us a review, and you got a minute. If you're already following us on Facebook and Instagram, then you know that we keep our followers up to date with new gear, new sales, new guests, new events, and tons of other stuff you won't get anywhere else. If you aren't following us yet, you're missing out. Follow us right now at Team Never Quit. Follow us right now at Team Underscore Never Quit. You can also keep up with us at Marcus at Marcus Latrell, Andrew at Andrew Brockenbush, and me at Mojo Latrell on Instagram. Hey, if you missed it earlier, Patreon is the place to be. Patreon is the place where you get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content of the show. You even get access to bonus episodes. So you remember back in the day, we did After Action. We've got some more After Action episodes coming your way. We've got some behind-the-scenes uh, extra video content coming your way. We've got all kinds of cool stuff. I can promise you this. There's two things you're really going to want to join us on Patreon for. We've got a bonus episode about TBI with Marcus, Morgan, Dimitri, and all of the guests that they had on the last show for them. And then we've also got a really, really cool episode in the works where Marcus and Morgan are actually being interviewed by their wives. You're not going to want to miss it. So if you want to join that, if you want to get access to that content, head to patreon.com slash team never quit. Thanks for everybody for coming back and listening and bringing these uh, wonderful guests into our life, into the briefing room so we could share their stories and um, get them out there to everybody and, and keep helping the, the, the team and, and those people who are, hopefully we can get them on the team because everybody goes through some bad stuff in their life and you don't have to do it alone. It's kind of one of the places where everybody melts into one thing and, and just the, uh, the overall courage, attitude and atmosphere of this place will change your life forever. Thank you all for, uh, for allowing that to happen. Thank you, good Lord, Jesus Christ, the wife. Thank you, and uh, we love you guys. We're out. See you guys.